disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. All right. Crazy stuff going on at the uh, Capitol in Kentucky. Um, so there's two things going on. Um, the, gov- the, the legislature is trying to rein in the governor's power. And uh, so the legislature passed some laws that basically say, hey, you can't do things like send the state police to the church and have them write down people's license plates because you can't ban church services uh, during a pandemic and just kind of limiting his overall power to do some of the draconian things that he's done as governor. So then uh, he obviously doesn't sign those laws and vetoes them. And then the legislature comes back and overwhelmingly overrides those vetoes. And then he goes running to the courts and files a lawsuit. This is, I believe, Governor Andy Bashir's only tool in his quiver. The only thing he has is litigation. He does not know how to lead. He does not understand actually um, working together. He doesn't understand collaboration. He doesn't understand how to be in touch with his constituents nation uh, statewide. That is what, what he would do. That's why he should contact the legislature and ask them what their constituents are saying and how we might want to go ahead and deal with the pandemic. He's not doing any of that. He just runs to the courts. So all of that is going on. We also have an impeachment uh, process that's taking place uh, coming from the people, not from the legislature. Um, it's coming emanating from the people, from business owners who are angry at the draconian moves that the governor has made without consulting them and so on and so forth. And my understanding is it's growing and it has a lot of signatures. And the way it has to work from talking to Representative Jason Nemus in a, is that basically you have to um, the, the, the legislature has to take it up. If somebody comes forward and says, I want to impeach the governor, and apparently it's like super easy. Apparently, like one person could be like, hey, I want to impeach the governor. Uh, but this has got a lot more than one signature. And uh, so we're going to talk about that with today's guest, Savannah Maddox. We're going to talk about the, the that process, but also um, the legislation that has been put in place to try to rein in this governor. And we'll get into all of that. Plus, we'll talk vaccines and more. Right now, though, I want to thank our sponsor for the program, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They are so awesome. I love working with them, and as I've told you before, I one of the things I love about doing a podcast, um, you know, is that the only ads that you hear on this podcast are ones that are from companies that I believe in. Now, I've never endorsed a company I didn't believe in ever. I just don't do that. So, anytime you've ever heard me talking about a company, whether it was on the radio or TV or wherever, it was always a company that I believed in. But, you know, when you're in the radio and uh, TV and stuff like that, you can't control the other ads that might run during your time slot. Well, I can control it. There will never be a business that advertises on this podcast that I don't 100% believe in. And the way I set that up is I either have to have worked with them, meaning been a customer of theirs, or I have to have researched them so thoroughly, talk to the people that run the company, understand who they are, what their character is, that I can then endorse them. And those are the only two ways you can actually become a sponsor of this podcast. And so I say all of that to say that that is Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. We actually have worked with them. They did our kitchen, and I cannot approve of them enough. 
So if you're looking to do your dream kitchen, I want you to give them a call, 502-930-3304. Talk to their great designers, Michelle, Kelly, George. They're waiting to talk to you. Or if you're a do-it-yourselfer um, or a contractor, they've got affordable, beautiful, and I mean beautiful. You can see them on the website, beautiful cabinets in stock. Um, whatever type of countertop surface you're looking for, whether it's granite or uh, quartz or any other type of solid surface or even laminate, they've got all of that for you as well. So check them out at LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Southern Indiana, Louisville, Odom County. Guys, this is your place. Get Louisville Cabinets and Countertops over to the house post-haste to make your kitchen what it should be. All right, let's dive into our conversation with Savannah Maddox, the representative from Northern Kentucky. All right, let's dive into our conversation with Representative Savannah Maddox. You know what I miss, Savannah? What? Real sporting events with actual people in the stands. I bet. It's it's very strange. Concerts, parties, <laughs> right? I know. It, it's it's this bizarro world that we've been forced into that nothing makes sense. Up is down and down is up. Yeah. It's, it's very discouraging. I was talking to... Um, on the last episode, I was talking to a guy who is in the healthcare industry who was kind of analyzing President Joe Biden's plan for rolling out the vaccine. And there's this, I know that there are tests. It was, I heard a MIT scientist talk about the other day. There are tests that we can make for like a buck that they can sell at CVS over the counter. They are 100% accurate when they tell you that you have COVID. They're not quite 100% accurate when they tell you that you don't, okay? So there's that. But imagine if they're 80% accurate when they tell you that you don't have COVID. And mm-hmm. people then could gra- grab these things for a buck or two, have a stash of them at home. They get a little sniffly, take the test. If it shows they have it, they know they have it. Stay the heck home. People could, because th- the way we've always handled pandemics in the past is quarantine the sick, I mean, it's the opposite of what we've done. And we have within our grasp, we could have done this nine months ago, the ability to do that and let everybody get back to normal. Sure. But in terms of it being 80% effective, the problem that you run into is that a lot of establishments, is that going to be sufficient for them? Or are they going to demand that you take their own test? Because I know particularly um, among employers and especially with like outside contractors coming in to perform jobs, they have their own on-site testing and they will not allow you to be on that work site if you haven't uh, proven that you do not have COVID. So, I mean, I I think that there's so many things that are going to have to be looked at in terms of, you know, how do you really establish one, that you don't have COVID um, beyond a shadow of a doubt. And and also in terms of if you have been exposed to it, there, there's just so many things that we have not yet developed a firm grasp of. And really at the, at the end of it, who gets to set those policies? Right. You know, private employers, or is it a function of state government, federal government? And I, I think it's a very sticky wicket, so yeah. to speak. Well, I, I think this other test that I'm talking about is more for the general public. Because mm-hmm. if I knew I had it, even if I didn't feel too bad, I wouldn't go out. You know, I'm, I don't want to put other people in danger. I don't want to. I, I wouldn't do it if I had the flu. You know, sure. I'd be careful about it if I had a code. You know, but the point I'm making is that from a broader standpoint, we never had to shut everything down ever. Mm-hmm. There, it was always within our grasp to handle this in a way that we could keep business open and keep people safe. Um, you know, and and that's the part that just I I feel like. 
I told somebody this the other day. I don't think the election was stolen. I think it was manipulated. I think the Democratic governors, Democrat operatives, the media colluded to destroy what was a raging, awesome economy because they knew that was the only way they could win the election. And they were successful. And now I think they've done more. I, I'm kind of seeing a little bit of panic in the faces of some of my Democrat friends because I'm like, I think now they're like, oh, crap, I think we did more damage than we thought we would. You know what I mean? It's like, how, how do we dig out of this hole without getting blamed? So well, it'll be I interesting. The precedent that was set way back whenever members of Congress were told that it was too unsafe to take a vote on the largest spending bill in history, right. the precedent that that ultimately set to then turn around and say, well, it's not safe to show up and vote in person. And you had a plethora of state legislatures that allowed for mail-in voting. I do think that that kind of um, speaks to a certain level of manipulation, and it's very problematic. But back to the other, uh, in terms of proving that you are COVID negative, one of the other things that we're running into is you're beginning to see uh, businesses who are saying that you cannot utilize their services if you've not taken the vaccine. Now, right. granted, not everybody has the vaccine at their availability at this point, but once it has been proliferated to a larger extent, you know, is is it going to be cruise ships? Is it going to be airlines? How far does that go where it's not good enough to show that you don't have COVID? You also have to prove that you've had a vaccine. So I think that there's a lot of public policy implications with that as well. Yeah, we're looking at I think we're staring down the barrel of a COVID vaccine passport. Um, you mentioned businesses. There's already a couple of airlines that have said once the vaccine is proliferated, we're not going to let you fly without proving that you're um, that you're COVID safe or whatever. Um yeah, I, I, I portend or I see a lot of violations of people's rights, but we're living in an age, Savannah, of soft fascism where because a very small, unruly mob of people who hang out on Twitter can basically dictate policy of businesses and private business and what people can say and what people cannot say without ever having the heavy hand of the government step in. That's where this is going to come from. You know, they will they will pressure and bully businesses into virtue signaling that they won't allow anyone in who doesn't have the covid passport or whatever. I, I think Absolutely. that's what we're going to see. Well, and we've seen a whole bunch of cancel culture, not just within the context of the social justice movement, but also with, you know, quote unquote, COVID fascism at this right. point. But I still think that there are greater public policy implications in so much that here in the state of Kentucky, we have had the uh, chamber as well as a bunch of other professional organizations that have been opposed to any type of vaccine freedom legislation in so much as that they want private employers to be able to require or mandate a COVID vaccine as a condition of employment once right. the FDA has approved it beyond the emergency phase. That, that's really kind of hard to believe that we're sitting at this place in what is supposed to be a free society, Savannah, because I remember, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, my company offering up free flu vaccines. Hey, if you want it, take it. Yeah. There was no pressure. There was no, you got to do this to show up at work. No, they just said, if you want it, take it. Now, the last time I took a flu vaccine, it was one of those that our company gave us. And I got sicker than I think I've ever been in my life. Um, and I said, nope, not going to do it anymore. And I have not had the flu since. Now, that's anecdotal. I am not an anti-vaxxer. If you feel comfortable, yeah, and if you feel comfortable taking the vaccine, take it. But, Absolutely. But I, I, I don't think I should be forced. And it's really kind of funny to see the left, who's always said, my body, my choice, 
until they're afraid of a, vi a virus. And then it's your body, their choice. Absolutely. And I think that therein lies the rub because, you know, the way that I look at this, you know, I would never discourage a person from receiving a vaccine if that's what they want. And that's the decision that they think is best for their own personal set of circumstances. Go for it. Absolutely. But at the same time, there are other folks that have not yet arrived at that conclusion. And all that I think should be done in terms of state policy and, you know, not just Kentucky, but other states is to allow people to have the ability to make that decision for themselves. Right. It's, it's just a simple proposition. And, and frankly, I think that if you see, particularly after we get out of this initial phase, that this is effective, then people will want to receive a vaccine. They will see the benefits. They will see the advantages over the disadvantages. So yeah. I, I think that that only makes sense. I'm seeing a lot of news stories about rapidly dropping cases of of the virus what do you make of that and at the same time i'm also seeing news stories of uh we now may have as many as four thousand variants of of the virus which this is what viruses do viruses will virus that's what they sure. do they they mutate they change what's interesting is that historically what we know about viruses is that when they change and mutate they tend to get less lethal because viruses need us to survive they have no interest in actually killing us off and so it's kind of like that guy when they first pop on the scene, it's like that guy that arrives at the party. He's too loud. He's in everybody's face. Hey, man, get some people skills. Right. That's what the virus does yeah. is over time it mutates to where it becomes less and less lethal because it wants you to live because that's how it lives and proliferates. And that's just the thing. Stopping a human from being a human does not stop a virus from right. being a virus. And I think that what you're beginning to see is that the narrative is shifting in so much as now, of course, we, we have Joe Biden in office. Right. And there is an impetus to show some type of improvements in the situation overall. But, you know, here in Kentucky, we have had a mask mandate since July. And at some point with something like that, when you have a stark public policy that impacts so many people, you have to be able to show your work. Mm -hmm. And what we've seen is that that has not really curtailed the spread of the virus. And, and now we, we're hearing talk of, well, you need to wear two masks or three masks. I mean, at what point does it stop? 17 <laughs> masks, right. maybe? You know, right. it's, it's just a, it's an interesting situation. But I think at the end of the day, it's a function of what I have always said, being prudent if you are sick stay home. Right. Don't engage in the economy. Don't go to work. Don't go out. It's what we have always known about viruses. And, you know, I'm not trying to downplay the severity of COVID or any of the um, any of the the loss of life that has caused or anything of that nature. But at the same time, when you weigh it in the greater context of the economic damage that has been caused through shutdowns, right. we eventually have to get to a point where we say, what is the new normal? Where are we heading with this? Are we ever going to be able to emerge back into society being maskless and, and taking on everyday functions? Yeah, it's I, I it's miss, a tipping point. I miss, um, I miss smiling at people or knowing yes. that they're smiling back. I'm, I'm kind of a gregarious guy. I, I talk to everybody. Um, and about the only positive thing about masks is that they say you're better looking with one on. So that's like a win for me. <laughs> but I, I tend to smile at people and I tend to engage people wherever I am at all times. And it, I feel so disconnected, um, you know, from community. It drives me nuts because I'm a community type person. And so, uh, yeah. And, and I think <clears throat> this is a good segue into what I really wanted to talk to you about was the idea of how do we get back to normal? We don't get back to normal as long as we have 
uh, a governor who has no clue what he's doing and prefers to litigate over actually lead. Um, and that's where you guys come in as a state legislature. He has vetoed your restrictions on his power, and you guys have overruled those vetoes. Have you done all of them yet, or are you still in the process? No, we have overridden every one of his vetoes, but the problem that we have now is he filed a 236-page lawsuit, and the Franklin uh, Circuit Court has issued a temporary restraining order on enforcing our legislation. So, wow. in other words, this is being litigated, and I anticipate that was House Bill 1, which was right. a bill that said that uh, schools, businesses, organizations could be open, notwithstanding any additional executive orders, provided that they had a plan, right. either in the context of CDC guidelines or state guidelines or whatever. They just needed to have a plan to stay open. Right. And uh, it's it's very unfortunate because essentially what you've had happen is it has invalidated the voices of 105 out of 138 legislative districts. Right. Which, this is, go ahead, we sorry. had a clear mandate yeah. on behalf of the folks who sent us here to create an appropriate balance of power among co-equal branches of government. But right. the governor, not only does he not want to engage the General Assembly at the forefront of this in terms of his public policy decisions related to COVID, but now he doesn't even want to bring us to the table and allow us to um, engage in that conversation. And yeah. it's 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 very discouraging. Yeah. Um, it's funny when you mention his litigation. Uh, I remember when, uh, when Bevin was governor of Kentucky, um, I made a joke on the air one time. I said, if if there was a ham sandwich laying on a table in the cafeteria at the Capitol and Bashir was walking through as attorney general and somebody said, Bevan made that sandwich, he would sue it. Yes. And that's that's 100% what I, I honestly don't think he knows how to actually lead. I think the only thing he knows how to do is is litigate because he he has taken steps since the beginning of this that have been vastly overreaching his power. By the way, I live in Colorado now. Mm-hmm. And we have kids in school, face to face. This is this is a Democrat bastion blue state for the most part, and we never fully shut down. And we have kids going to school face to face. Every scientist has said, put kids back in school. There's no reason to worry about the spread in schools. And yet, clearly, Bashir I think is beholden to the teachers union, and they've decided they don't want to go back to work for whatever reason. But at the end of the day. Um, he's not leading based on science and he's not leading based on real leadership. I think he's just doing whatever. I, I, honestly, I don't question his motives. I think he wants to save lives, but I think he also enjoys the power trip. I would question his motives at this point. Now, at the very onset of this, I gave him the benefit of the doubt, meaning back in March, whenever uh, he had the one and only conversation that he ever had with the General Assembly um, about the need to take some steps. But that was prior to the first executive orders flying, you know, shutting down churches and businesses and so forth, so on. But when we're talking about science, science doesn't mean what it did even five, 10 years ago. It's not data driven. Essentially, it is being uh, manipulated and transformed around whatever narrative is being promulgated on behalf of the administration. And and in Kentucky, what that means is, for instance, the governor's trying to make this very political, saying that we're trying to take his power in the height of a pandemic. But in reality, Kentucky is one of only three states that has no limitations on emergency powers and also cannot call itself back into session. So what we're trying 
trying to do is to create that balance because if you ever did have a state of emergency that needed to surpass a 30-day time frame um, in the future, you would want the General Assembly, you would want the people's voice to be a part of that conversation. But that's right. not what this governor wants. He wants to keep us at the at the exterior of this conversation. And, and I think a lot of that is political because he understands that, you know, we have super majorities in the House and the Senate. And although he may uh, be the governor, he still is having to deal with a political reality where holding on to his power is his only chance. And that, yeah. I think that that is a great disservice to the people in my district and across the Commonwealth, because like you say, kids should be in school. The science is clear on that. And anything that he's doing to stand in the way of that is nothing more than uh, nothing more than catering to the teachers unions and yeah. the folks that were his base. Yeah. Um, got him elected. Um, no <laughs> question about it. Uh, but it, it, going back to to what you were saying about how he is he's run to the courts because he doesn't like what the legislature's doing. This actually lines up with the way that he's run the state from the very beginning. He never called or talked to the legislature about ways that we should approach dealing with COVID. I mean, yeah. under the understanding the initial reaction, then he should have called together the legislature and said, how do we do this? Because you guys are the ones that are most in touch with constituents across the state. So if I'm a judge and I'm weighing this and I'm like, who's closer to what the people of Kentucky want? Then I'm clearly siding with the legislature. You know what I mean? Because... Well yeah. And I mean, the problem is, is in the original Acre versus Bashir decision, the Supreme Court, uh, they issued a dicta which stipulated that the governor has almost inherent power in the Constitution to do the things that he has done. I fundamentally disagree with that. And under KRS 39A, it was the General Assembly who gave him these emergency powers to begin with. And now that we've come back after we've seen how he's abused it and changed that, amended it, he rejects it wholesale. And, you know, at this point, not just in the context of House Bill 1, but Senate Bill 1 and any of our other bills, it's going to ultimately end up in the Kentucky Supreme Court's hands and they will have a decision to make. Are they going to side with the governor over politics or are they going to side with the citizens of the Commonwealth? And in 2022, whenever we have an opportunity to replace some of those folks, we absolutely should if they do not side with the citizens of the Commonwealth and the rule of law. Well, they should side with the Constitution. But I guess my yes. question is, um, from a technical standpoint, the the power that the governor has was vested in him by the legislature, not by constitutional amendment. Is that what you're saying? Yes, they implied that he has these sorts of powers within the Kentucky Constitution. But in reality, uh, that is very contradictory because there are a whole host of provisions within the Kentucky Constitution that have been chiefly violated right. by his actions. I mean, particularly with regard to shutting down businesses and his ban on religious services, interstate travel ban, so many things. And, you know, that's been the subject of a whole different discussion in terms of impeachment. Right. But really at the end of the day to think that this should have gone on since march uh, to the extent that it has and that the general assembly should not have a part in that discussion is absolutely ridiculous so let's talk about the impeachment process um yeah. there there's a, a number i don't know how many how many signatures is that up to because this is coming from the people not the, not it's not emanating from the legislature it's emanating from angry citizens <laughs> There are quite a few. And uh, on Monday, there were, I 
believe well over 100,000 additional signatures that were delivered. But I mean, in the context of impeachments prior to the petition having been filed, I've made it clear that, you know, I'm willing to hold this this governor accountable for his actions to the full extent of the law and in accordance with the will of the people. But now that we actually have an impeachment committee going on, in theory, if this were to come to a vote, members of the General Assembly, both in the House and the Senate, would serve as jurors to a certain extent. So I've, right. I've tried to make sure that I don't inject any personal or political bias into sure. that. But I do believe that he should be accountable for his actions. Well, and and I don't I'm not expecting you at this point to take a side until, you know, the jury is called. But but what I would ask is more, how does this work? Because when I was talking to uh, Representative Jason Nemus, who I believe chairs that committee. Yes. And he also did a very nice job of, you know, not weighing into should I or shouldn't I. Uh, but it was more we're going to take this up because the way Kentucky's constitution is written is very interesting. This, again, is emanating from the people. This is there. You have some very pissed off businesses. I know that uh, I follow Brood in Lexington uh, and have had them on this podcast twice, and they have gone through the ringer with this governor. And so they're definitely broadcasting out the, the, the petition and they're posting pictures of signed copy and all this stuff because there are some angry businesses at what the governor has done to them. But my question would be what is the alleged crime? I mean, I, I understood. Not, I'm not taking a side here in that sense. I'm asking from a technical standpoint, what is the alleged crime that a jury of the legislature would be considering that the governor committed? Understanding we all know he overreached his power, but what is the specific crime? Well, as far as being able to comment on the validity of the allegations, that's obviously not something that I can do at mm-hmm. this point. But that said, yeah. uh, a lot of it stems from the fact that he removed a citizen's ability to earn a wage and did not successfully provide compensation for that through the unemployment program, as well as I think okay. that there are indictments on the basis of him borrowing money. And, of course, the ban on religious services, the interstate right. travel ban, there's a whole host of allegations. And, again, that petition was formed by citizens. It did not initiate within the General Assembly. So, you know, it's it, it would be difficult for me to comment on the validity because that almost uh, kind of casts some type of disposition towards them. But no, and, and I'm said, not I'm not asking you to. Yeah, I'm not asking you to. Be right. it, it needs to be weighed. It needs to be looked at. And the governor has been given an opportunity to provide an account and to explain why he did what he did. Right. And frankly, that's something that I think that he should have had to have done a long time ago. And right. it's not just in Kentucky. We're not isolated. This is happening in a whole host of other states, some of which have Republican governors. Yeah. So it's actually not political. It's a function of what is the proper role of government in a situation of this magnitude. I think that this stuff is being redefined and rewritten um, every week. Uh, throughout the course of this pandemic. And at the end of the day, I want to be on the side of the citizens of the Commonwealth and preserving our individual rights and liberties. Right. Um, By the way, the state of Arizona is one of the states where the governor is having an awful lot of pushback right now because he's he has up until recently taken the same tack as many Democrat governors have, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and I find it so interesting, again, living in Colorado, that this this is a definitely a blue state when you look at it on the electoral map but for whatever reason the governor here i'm not a big fan of his but honestly he hasn't done a horrible job Uh, he never shut the entire economy down completely 
He decentralized power. Listen to this. This is a Democrat governor. He decentralized power when it came to reacting to this. And he said to the counties, here are the standards we're going to try to set. Go by. You guys decide when your county has reached those standards and make decisions accordingly. So Mm -hmm. we do have some counties in the state that are completely shut down. But most of the counties are wide open and most of the kids are in school. And, you know, that kind of approach even though there's been some things that have been more restrictive than I would have liked. And then I watch my home state of Kentucky and I'm like, good Lord, sending state police to take people's license plate numbers at the, at the church. Are you freaking kidding me? What country do we live in? This is not Kentucky spirit, man. I mean, we're we're talking about tough people who came over the Cumberland gap in the wild and crazy land. You know what I mean? How can you do this? Unbridled spirit. Yes. Yes. How can you do this? So, um, yeah, but I'm just fascinated that, that, that impeachment movement has grown as big as it can. But I also think that people are very angry and they feel, especially in states run the way that Governor Bashir has run Kentucky, they feel voiceless. And, you know, well, I, they feel even more voiceless now that we are, you know, incurring litigation because we did what we needed to do on behalf of our constituents and so much as we were formed emergency powers and granted this is something that i would have liked to have seen done back in march whenever i first filed an amendment to kind of create some a system of checks and balances but that said we did our part as the general assembly and i feel that the people are furious yeah. because they feel like the voice of the general assembly the people's branch has been invalidated and and they're fearful of that and i think that that actually has fueled the discussion of impeachment because they see no other recourse and it's just like i'm saying we're, we're setting all different types of precedent in the situation where you know how do you deal with a governor who is not abiding by the will of the people if the general assembly cannot be a check on their power well what's fascinating to me is that you know, you you have a, a governor who is in charge of a state that has an election like the one you guys just had that literally defies the national wave and sure. and shows a very clear mandated message from the people. And he literally makes no changes to how he approaches leadership. He makes no changes. He, he, he even goes farther at throwing the gauntlet down by filing a law instead of saying, OK, the people have spoken. Let me talk to the restaurant association. Let me reach out to these business groups and find out how the best way to handle this. Let me see if we can put together a panel of experts that will come up with innovation ideas on how we can get business open as quickly as possible. He hasn't done any of that. And I'm, I'm stunned by that, given how strong a rebuke those sort of that last election was. The fact that he hasn't made any kind of adjustment to how he's leading the state is, is really baffling from a political standpoint. It is. It is sheer political hubris, in my opinion, because, you know, he has he's going to run this ship aground, so to speak, that he's dug in. And uh, to borrow some phrases from our federal delegation, he's drunk on power. I mean, and I truly do believe that because he understands that uh, this is what he has tied himself to. And I think that looking ahead at 2023, if he holds any hope of retaining uh, the governor's 
position, it's going to be a function of saying, well, I, I was just trying to save lives. I was just trying to do what was right. right. So he can't back off of that now. But uh, I think that it's going to be to his detriment, because like you say, unlike previous election cycles where the top issues, of course, were being 100 percent pro-life or pro-Second Amendment, it was different this time. Yeah. People were chomping at the bit saying, if I'm going to vote for you, you are going to rein in this governor's powers right. under KRS 39A. So yeah. we've done what we can do. And, you know, the fight's not over. We're going to do everything that we can. We actually have a bill to change the way that our legislation is litigated because it all ends up in Franklin Circuit Court right now. Right. But to, to give us the opportunity to spread that out across the Commonwealth and maybe have a fairer approach. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, it's in the Supreme Court's hands, a lot of things that we do. And I think they're going to have to show their hand and, and show uh, where they really stand on these issues. No doubt. Fascinating stuff. Well, I know you got to get to a meeting. I appreciate your time this morning, Savannah. Uh, appreciate the fact that you are one of those legislators that is holding the governor accountable. I'm sure Kentuckians are very appreciative of that. And we'll look forward to seeing updates on this. All right. Thanks so much, Leland. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. Uh, Representative Savannah Maddox. Um, Yeah, I I, I'm again, I don't question his motives in terms of I don't you know, I I think he wants to save lives, but I just think he's he's an idiot when it comes to leadership. I'm sorry. I don't know how else to put it. I don't know how else to put it. How can you see what happened in the last election, which defied the national election and, and and not. Make adjustments to how you're running the state. How can people still be waiting on unemployment 10 months later and he not be getting blamed for that? You know, uh, that petition for impeachment speaks for itself. If you have over 100,000 signatures, that's stunning. Um, you know, and, you know, whether or not there's there's legitimate grounds for it. I haven't read the petition. It's, uh, you know, I'm kind of watching it from a distance. I'm fascinated by it. I like seeing people exhaust their avenues to um, use the system to rein in unchecked power. And that's what's happening here. I I like seeing people do it this way. Uh, This is the way to do it. You know, it's the way to do it is to speak um, uh, to speak through political channels. And uh, the fact that I think he's probably a little bit surprised that, (laughs) like, wait a minute. People aren't just angry at me; they're organized at being angry with me, and they they're they're going to try to bring legitimate legislative consequences to me through this. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with it. Again, you know, we talked to uh, Representative Jason Nemus; he's on the cha- he's the chair of that committee, and I appreciate uh, Savannah Maddox and uh, Nemus as well, both staying above the fray on it because this is emanating from the people. And they are going to have to decide if there's any legitimacy to what the accusations are. And you can't do that if you're out there helping to organize it or getting involved in it or making comments on it. It's to be honest with you, the way the Kentucky legislature has handled this is the exact opposite um, of the way that it's it was handled in Washington. Now, obviously, the the impeachment processes for Trump came from Congress itself, but there was no attempt at any point. And, and obviously the the other the second impeachment trial of Trump is still ongoing. And I have questions about whether that's even constitutional once the guy's out of office. But we'll see where it goes. But th- that th- there have been no a- a- no evidence whatsoever of restraint from politics on it and partisanship in it for either of the two impeachment processes. And so what it does is it takes that very solemn process and it makes it seem as though it's just politics. 
and partisanship. Uh, and so I got to tell you, hats off to the Kentucky legislature because they have handled this in a way that has been less, has been nonpartisan, and that's exactly how they should handle it. Take the grievances that the people are bringing to them in the petition, assess those grievances, and then go accordingly. And that's kind of how it should absolutely work. So anyway, big thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Super appreciative that they are uh, sponsoring the show. I don't talk about businesses that I don't believe in, and I believe in Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They did our kitchen and master bath. And as I've said to you before, I'm pretty confident they're the reason why our house sold in less than a day. Um, they just th- Their work is top-notch. The choices that they offer their customers are unbelievable. Um, the designers they have on staff, Kelly, George, um, and Michelle, are fantastic. And they, they love talking to you. They want to see your smiling face come in the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane and see some of the great stuff that they have. Uh, that they can do for your home. And if you go to the website, LouisvilleCabinetsToCountertops.com, if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, um, right at the top of the page where it says home and then cabinets, and then just click on cabinets and then a drop-down menu comes and in-stock cabinets pops up. Hit that in-stock cabinets and look at the amazing designs and cabinets that they already have in stock and the affordable prices, they list them on their website. So if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor, these are this is your place. So check out Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you're in southern Indiana, uh, Louisville or Oldham County, your dream kitchen is just a phone call away. 502-930-3304. Check them out. Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Big thanks to my co-executive producer, Cameron Mills, Dynamics Produ- uh, Productions in Lexington, and JP Web Design for their help with the program. Uh, you can follow us, download us on Instagram, share it with your family, or download us rather on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Just search The Disruption Zone at any of those platforms, and please subscribe, and please give us a five-star review. I would really appreciate a five-star review from you at Apple Podcasts. Uh, just helps. What happens is when, when people go on and do the five-star reviews on Apple, Apple then promotes those podcasts out into the, to the atmosphere. So, it goes beyond just the people that know about, you know, it, it grows the audience. So if you could take the time to go on Apple and just five-star rate my um, podcast, that would be fantastic. I really appreciate it. Um, again, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at uh, Great Lelando, or excuse me, at Zone Disruption on Twitter, and then at Great Lelando on Instagram, and at The Disruption Zone on Instagram as well. So check that out. I am Leland Conway. Thanks for listening to The Disruption Zone.